This is the GGC Life Podcast. Wonderful. All good? God is good. Um, so, I'm going to continue on this theme of the unchanging king and his unshakable kingdom. Just to recap, we looked at the triumphal entry, which was kingdom revealed. We've looked at uh, the second point around the kingdom of God, was kingdom received. Who do you say I am? The keys of the kingdom, receiving the kingdom. Um, we looked at uh, point number three, which was the kingdom reduced and replaced, court of the Gentiles, what are we doing? Um, what are we showing the world? Is it the gospel of the kingdom or is it our pet theology? What is it? Uh, the next point we looked at was kingdom fruit, and it was a cursed tree and a withdrawal of the kingdom. Somebody came up to ask me about Israel a little uh, between the sessions, and I uh, don't want to get into those types of questions right now. The church has not replaced Israel, and um, uh, I'm sure you might have a thousand questions about end times. I don't know when Jesus is coming back, but I do know the season, not the day nor the hour. Yeah, yes. Um, so kingdom fruit, we looked at kingdom fruit. Uh, just very, very quickly, just pull up slide six. I want to get onto the nature and character of the kingdom. This is absolutely vital we grasp this truth. I want you to leave this place, uh, when you do leave this place, when you have a clearer understanding of the kingdom, not because you don't have one now. Never be closed to continual revelation on the kingdom of God. Matthew 13 is the cornerstone parable of all parables. The parable of the sow of the seed is a series of parables about the kingdom of God. And Jesus actually said, if you don't understand the parable of the sow of the seed, you will not understand any parable. All the parables are about the kingdom of God, amen? Yeah. But at the end of that series of parables in Matthew chapter 13, Jesus says that a man who teaches about the kingdom of God is like a man who is a homeowner, and he constantly brings out new treasure as well as old. If you think you've got the corner definition of the kingdom, if you try and reduce the kingdom to a nutshell, you're just simply a nut. Okay. It can't be done, really. Yes, it is the rule and reign of God, but it's far more. Okay. So just slide number six very, very quickly. And I just want to get this point across because this is absolutely vital. Uh, and my point here is kingdom come will be done. I'm going to take two minutes on this. Kingdom come will be done. It's the there are two gardens that are in picture here in the coming of the kingdom. One is the Garden of Eden, and the Garden of Eden was not thy will, but my will be done. The Garden of Gethsemane was not my will be done, but thy will be done. Okay? The Lord's prayer is, Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. You cannot separate the kingdom of God from doing the will of God. The kingdom comes when the will of God is being done. You can't separate the two. Are you with me? And that's very important. So, and your ref, scriptural reference there is Matthew chapter 12, verses 46 onwards. When they said, Jesus, your mother and your brother and your sisters are outside. And he said, well, who are my mother and who are my brothers and who are my sisters? In other words, you want to know who my real family is? In verse 50, whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my, is my brother and sister and mother. Okay, very important point. And so in Gethsemane, we see this intersecting of, the, of, 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 of God's will. Jesus said, not my will, but thy will be done. He said, Father, take this cup from me, but not my will. Jesus' cup was his mission, which was the cross. You have a cup and you have a cross. Okay. Now, there's a misunderstanding of what your cross is. Your cross is the intersection between your will and God's will. It's that crossway. And your cup is the call of God upon your life, is to fulfill that thing that God has called you to. Amen? His cup was the cross. Let's move on. Can I have the next slide, please, very, very quickly? My next point is kingdom victory and kingdom reach. Now, Janet, I wish I could stay on this because I actually felt when I was prepping this that uh, this was actually really for you because this is really cool. This is about angels and principalities and powers and all sorts of things that prophets do. They, you know, prophets are in the heavenly realms and sometimes so heavenly-minded that they're no earthly good, but I'm not talking about you or Cliff. But, you know, 
in, in John chapter 19, verse 30, this is kingdom victory and kingdom reach. The cross is the victory where we see the victory. Amen? When he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. And I want to submit it to the teachers here today. If you actually ask most Christians today, what was the cross all about? They'll tell you that it was about the rebellion of Genesis chapter 3. And in Genesis chapter 3, we know it was the sin of Adam and Eve. It was a rebellion against the will of God. Their garden mandate was to extend the garden across the planet, to advance the kingdom of God. It's still a garden mandate. Amen? And there was a rebellion in chapter 3. But when Jesus, I put it to you that when Jesus said, it is finished, he was speaking to his Father. On the cross, Jesus put an end to three rebellions, not just one. If, you speak to a, if we could speak to a, transport ourselves back to a second temple Jew, temple period Jew, and you ask them, what were the rebellions that the Bible tells us of? There are three, Genesis chapter 3, Genesis chapter 6, and Genesis chapter 11. Now, I'm going to shock you with a few things here, but I don't want to get down this rabbit hole. In Genesis chapter 3, Christ put an end to that rebellion on the cross through His sacrifice. In Genesis chapter 6, there was the rebellion of the watchers in heaven. There was the rebellion of the sons of God in heaven. That triggered the flood. And what actually happened in Genesis chapter 6, it says the B'nai Elohim, or the sons of God. Every time the word sons of God, B'nai Elohim, is used in the Old Testament, it always refers to God's family in heaven. It might shock you that God had a family before He created Adam and Eve. Unfortunately, we've reduced our language to only one category, which are angels. Angels is a job description of a category of them. But B'nai Elohim are the sons of God, and so you'll hear terms throughout Scripture, the old covenant of, of, of watchers or princes, sars. And you might be surprised that God actually has a counsel that He takes advice from in heaven. He has a counsel in heaven. So when He, for example, decided Ahab was going to die, He called His counsel together, the sars, the princes. He even refers to them as Elohim. Little Elohim, little E. And so, for example, Psalm 82 tells us that God presides in the council of the gods, and God calls them gods. Little Elohim. He's the only God, uncreated, eternal. So you've got this hierarchy of God's family in the heavenly realms, where you get sars, you get princes, you get B'nai Elohim, you get sons of God, you get cherubim, you get seraphim, and then there's a category of them called angels. That's their job description, their messengers. Are you with me? So why am I telling you this? Because in Genesis chapter 6, we can talk about this another time, there was a rebellion. And, it actually, and that rebellion caused the flood. What actually happened? And I know that many Bible colleges will teach you it was the line of Seth that actually saw the daughters of men and found them fair and got married and, and actually had intercourse with them. But there's nowhere in Scripture in the Old Covenant, or the Old Testament, where a B'nai Elohim ever referred to human flesh, and it doesn't make any sense if you look at the Scriptures. There were B'nai Elohim that descended on the earth. They saw the daughters of men. They took them as wives, and they produced the Nephilim. Now, remember I said Scripture will always interpret Scripture. It's not a commentary. Scripture tells you that. Because the reach of the king on the cross. So you get Genesis chapter 6 as a rebellion. We'll get to Genesis 11 in a moment. Adam and Eve is the couple, first couple, rebelled. On the cross when Jesus said it's finished, he put an end to that rebellion. But he put an end to the rebellion of Genesis chapter 6. Remember, Peter the Apostle in the New Testament and in the book of Jude, it says that the angels who did not keep their first estate but went after strange flesh. You with me? Peter the Apostle says that Jesus Christ went between His death and His resurrection. What did Jesus do? 
Have you thought about what Jesus did on Saturday? We know Friday he died. On Sunday he rose. What did he do on Saturday? Well, the Scriptures tell us that he went to preach to the spirits in chains. Those who corrupted the human race in Genesis chapter 6. So when he said it's actually finished, he dealt to the rebellion of a portion of the heavenly family. They in prison. Some movies. If you go to the movie The Titans, I'm not saying this is it. You know, Hollywood always picks up little glimmers of truth and some stuff here and there. These were the sars. These were the sons of God that rebelled in Genesis chapter 6 and triggered the flood. And they were taken captive. What an incredible, I would love to have seen that war. Incredible. They were, and they are kept in chains until the day of judgment. Jesus went and preached to them. On Saturday. I love it. But there was also a rebellion in Genesis chapter 11, which was the Tower of Babel. And the interesting thing is this with the Tower of Babel, uh, they weren't just building a tower to get to heaven. It's a thing called a ziggurat. And when they built that ziggurat, you see them. You get pyramids. You get them all over the world today. They're like altars. They were places where their gods would intersect into this reality and meet with the people that were worshiping them. That's why the temple in Jerusalem was the meeting place between God and man. Incredible, isn't it? But in Genesis chapter 11, they build this tower. And what does God do? He breaks up the nations. One language, one people. There's a rebellion against the kingdom of God. And what does God do? He confuses them. He breaks them up into, into the nations. And if you read the book of Deuteronomy, you know what God actually does? He puts the sars, the fallen princes, over each nation. He takes a sars, one of his fallen, the Bnei Elohim, one of the fallen sons, the sons of God in heaven. He takes them, the prince, and he puts him over a nation. How do I know that? Because Scripture tells us. Deuteronomy 32, he says that when, when, when the people rebelled, God divided up the nations. Now, the unfortunate thing is one or two of the English translations don't correctly translate the word Bnei Elohim. And so what they'd say is they talk about the sons of Israel. But he says, no, in Deuteronomy, he says, I take Israel as my portion, but you are over each of the nations. He puts them in. How do I know that? Principalities and powers and forces of wickedness in the heavenly realms. Ephesians chapter 6. And so over every nation there's a prince, a fallen prince. That's where the word principality comes from. There's a rebel over each nation. Isn't that amazing? When I told you about Daniel chapter 9, when Daniel actually prayed, Gabriel actually, go look at the, uh, 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 Daniel. Uh, uh, Gabriel says, Daniel, as soon as you prayed, I was sent. But the prince of Persia took me captive. You know the story, don't you? The prince of Persia took me captive. It was a fallen sars, a fallen Bnei Elohim, a fallen son of God. There's a whole bunch that are in chains waiting judgment, but there are still a whole bunch that are actually presiding over nations. So we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and forces of wickedness in the heavenly realms. And I haven't got time for it now, but that's where the whole issue of apostles and prophets come in. Because when they corrupted the earth in Genesis chapter 6, they taught the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God. They actually taught to the human race, and they taught them all sorts of things. But in Matthew chapter 13, Jesus said that the, the good seed stands for the sons and the daughters who hear the gospel message. And the good soil is you hear the message and you receive that seed of the message. And then Jesus says that the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven are now given to you. Incredible. It's powerful. And then Gen so Genesis 11. So when Jesus said it's finished, he dealt with three rebellions. Genesis 3, Genesis 6, and Genesis 11. He said it's finished. And I put it to you that he was actually talking to his father. Because my brothers and sisters, I honestly believe that the cross was first and foremost for the father, not for you and I. Because at the cross, the Scriptures tell us that Jesus took captivity captive. He made a public spectacle of the enemy. He even, beyond Saturday, descends into that realm. And he preaches the gospel to the spirits in chains. 
think the gospel is important to the kingdom? Incredible, isn't it? Genesis 3, 6 and 11. And I've spent too much time on that. Can I have my next slide, please? Okay. Let me press on. I'm in trouble. All right. Please turn to me Luke chapter 19. We're going to change tack. Luke chapter 19. I want to teach you on the nature and character of this rule and reign of God, of the kingdom of God. In Luke chapter 19, verse 41, we know that Jesus approached Jerusalem. He saw the city. He wept over it. Jesus wept over Jerusalem. In Matthew's gospel, in Matthew chapter 23, he says, O Jerusalem, this is Matthew 23, verse 37, he says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you are not willing. I want you to see the pastor's heart here, the shepherd's heart, Jesus. Jesus, the shepherd. We talk fivefold ministry. I believe that every single of those fivefold ministry gifts, in fact, the whole church needs to have the heart of a shepherd. And unless you've got the heart of a pastor, the heart of the heart of this shepherd, you should not be in ministry. He's going to hurt people. And the Bible presents him as the good shepherd, the chief shepherd, and the great shepherd. He's the good shepherd. He's the chief shepherd. He's the great shepherd. So we're changing tack. We're going to look at the nature and character of the kingdom of God. Amen? The good shepherd because he died for you. And that's got John's Gospel, chapter 10. In your notepad, just write, Good Shepherd. He's good because he died for you. John 10, which deals with your past. Deals with your past. And then write Psalm 22. Psalm 22 is all about the Good Shepherd who died. He's also the great shepherd. He's the great pastor. I'm going to use the word shepherd for pastor. He is the great shepherd. In the Hebrews chapter 13, 21 to 20 to 21, calls Jesus the great shepherd. Why is he the great shepherd? He's not just good because he died for you and he deals with your past. You see it's Psalm 22. But he is the great shepherd, according to Hebrews, because he lives for you in the present. And that's Psalm 23. Isn't it beautiful? He's the great shepherd because he lives for you, according to the book of Hebrews. In Psalm 23, we see the great shepherd living for you, which deals with your present. And then thirdly, he's the chief shepherd. He's the chief pastor. He's the chief shepherd because 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 4 calls him the chief shepherd because he will return for you. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. And that's Psalm 24. <laughs> Psalm 24. He's the chief shepherd because he deals with your future. He's coming back for you in the full glory of his kingdom. Now, let's go to John chapter 10 and verse 16. I want you to catch in this session the character and the nature of the kingdom of God. In John chapter 10 and verse 16, it's that whole passage where Jesus talks about, I'm the good shepherd. But in verse 16, he says, I have other sheep. Can you say other sheep? They are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice. And there shall be one flock and one shepherd. I love that, don't you? I've got other sheep who are not of this pen. I've got other sheep who are in Nineveh. I've got other sheep who are in Babylon. I've got other sheep who are in Sydney. 
I've got other sheep who are in the Babylonian cities of the world, and I love them all. I love them all. Jonah, go to Nineveh. But they're ugly people. Horrible people. Who'd want to live in Nineveh? Nineveh was wicked, wicked, wicked. But God loved Nineveh because he's got other sheep that are not of his pen. And there's the heart of a shepherd. Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you and to give you hope and a future. And it's on your coffee mug. <laughs> and it's on your T-shirt. And it's the school Christian school logo. Jeremiah 29, 11. There's a rude awakening in terms of the context of Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11. Because early on, God says to Jeremiah, I've taken you into, I've led you into captivity, into Babylon. God says, I've led you into captivity. For what purpose? That you would seek the prosperity and welfare of the Babylonian city. That you would pray over it. Seek its welfare and seek its blessings because in its welfare lies your welfare. And give your sons and daughters in marriage. Build homes, plant crops. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. You may think you're in Babylon and you're waiting for the new Jerusalem. God's going to leave you in Babylon until you actually seek its welfare and its prosperity. And we, we talk about apostles today. It's the only fivefold ministry that you are actually called to test. Do you know how to test the apostles to see whether they're true or false? And as leaders, as fivefold ministry, we have to teach ourselves in the church maybe the 40 points that there are in Scripture on how to test an apostle. We can test prophecy, but can we test apostles? I genuinely believe that genuine apostles are given strategy and blueprint to unlock cities, and they work with fivefold ministry to unlock cities. They know how to work with the Aquilas and the Priscillas and the Erastus, the town engineers. They know how to pull together .com.govern.org in order to break open territory. They know how to actually train up business people, the Aquilas and Priscillas, who are not apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, te uh, teachers, or elders and deacons, and the Aquilas and Priscillas, the Catmandu owners, the business owners, who then are so trained and steeped in good doctrine and the Word of God and filled with the Holy Spirit, that when the super apostle, the vertical apostle, he comes into town, they actually explain the way of Christ more excellently to him. Apostles turn cities upside down using the priesthood of all believers. They go into regions and they, can know how, they know how to exegete, how to interpret and explain what's going on. The principalities and the powers and the forces of wickedness, they can discern and see what's going on on the ground. Then they have the capacity and ability in God, the grace, then to see, okay, Lord, what resources, human resources can we use to break open a region? And if we are in a global economic crisis, I put it to you today that those on the front line that are most needed are businessmen and businesswomen. If there's an economic crisis, the pastors are not going to solve it. The business people are. The doctors are. Whew, I'm going down a rabbit hole here. My word. So Jesus weeps over cities. <laughs> he looks at the Babylonian cities of the world and he determines in the times and seasons and places where you will live so that the context that you're in, the people around you will seek him because you are there. Because they look at the court of the Gentiles, they look at you as a, as a, and a, you got the point. And what do they see? They see an outworking of the kingdom of God, the rule and reign of God in your life. Awesome, isn't it? Now, I'm going to wash you in do a, what I call a cameo overview. And I'm going to quickly read Scripture and wash you in it very quickly. And I'm trusting that the Spirit of God is going to grip your heart and you're going to see the nature and character of the kingdom of God. Because when we talk about the kingdom of God, my brothers and sisters, we're talking about the rule and reign of God. And do you know that Christ rules from His throne in heaven? And the Scriptures very, very clearly tell us what the character and the nature of the foundation of the throne of Christ is. 
And if you understand that, you're going to see, I trust in God, you're going to see by the end of this what the character of God's rule and reign actually is. Because there is a, there is a warning. I love signs, wonders, and miracles. And I'll never make an excuse. You've heard me say already that a, that a powerless church is inexcusable. And leaders are going to give an account for that. Not the people, leaders. But people will say that it's just signs, wonders, and miracles. And I want to back off here because I'm praying for extraordinary miracles. Extraordinary miracles. I don't know about you. We've got a bell in our church. And people are invited to interrupt my preaching at any stage if they get healed. We've got a brass bell. You get healed while during the preaching. Or at any stage, you get up and you ring the bell. You have full permission in our church to get up and ring that bell. doesn't matter who's preaching. But as I said to a church the other day in Hamilton, if you interrupt me because of my preaching, we're going to throw you out. And so you're busy preaching. I'm not joking. And somebody just pops up and they just walk out and go, ding, 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 and everybody cheers. Now, I'm saying that for this reason. You're going, wow. The bottom line is this. The signs and wonders and miracles follow. They are the evidence, but there's far more. Let me tell you about the nature and the character of this kingdom. I'm going to wash you with the word quickly. I'm going to give you what I call a cameo overview. I'm going to quote a whole bunch of Psalms very quickly and catch this in your spirit. The Lord loves righteousness and justice, and the earth is full of His unfailing love. Your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. A scepter, which is a symbol in his hand, a scepter of justice will be the scepter of your kingdom. Your, you love righteousness and you hate wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Love and faithfulness go before you. The Lord reigns. Let all the earth be glad. Let distant shores, Australia and New Zealand, rejoice. Clouds and thick darkness surround him. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. I will sing of your love and justice. Isaiah, those are Psalms. Isaiah says, of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne. And over his kingdom, establishing and upholding his kingdom with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. And the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. In love, a throne will be established. In faithfulness, a man will sit on it. And from the house of David, one who in judging seeks justice and speeds the cause of righteousness. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and iniquity. Deuteronomy says he defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow. You want to know what justice, biblical justice is? Not the world's definition of justice. The world's definition of social justice is actually to take people and just punish them and cancel them and chuck them in prison. But biblical justice... Have you stopped to actually think that all the problems that we're whinging and moaning and railing about are issues that the kingdom of God has a solution for? All those other isms, communism, capitalism, fascism, all those things, they're just isms. They're the product of the intellect of man. They're shakable kingdoms. They're false gods. The kingdom of God is unshakable. The world is hungry for the kingdom of God. They just don't know it. Here's justice. He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the alien, the immigrant, giving him food and clothing. And you are to love those who are aliens or immigrants. For you yourselves were aliens in Egypt. You get the point. Micah chapter 6, verse 8. O son of man, what is it that God requires of thee? Do justice. Don't talk about it. Do justice. Love mercy and walk humbly before the Lord. Ezekiel said, now this was the sin of your sister Sodom. Now, I know that the New Testament talks about the sexual immorality part of it, but this is quite interesting. 
It wasn't just homosexuality and what was going on in Sodom. And we know the word Sodomite, where it all comes from and stuff like that. But listen to the sin of Sodom. Ezekiel chapter 16 and 49. Now this was the sin of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters were arrogant. They were overfed and unconcerned. Unconcerned. They did not help the poor and the needy. I want you to catch the shepherd's heart here. In Genesis chapter 18, verse 19, For I have chosen him that he may command his children and his household after him. This is God speaking to Ab- about Abraham. How's this? His household after him to keep thy way, the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice, so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. Gosh. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, and this has puzzled me. It puzzled me for a very long time. We are in a global economic crisis. And Jesus actually says in Matthew chapter 6, He said, Do not let your hearts be troubled, but trust in God, trust also in me. That's not Matthew 6. Let me just go back, sorry. He said this, Do not store up yourselves treasures on earth when moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven yeah. where moth yeah. does not and rust do not destroy and thieves cannot break in and steal. For the eye is the lamp of the body. And if thy eye is bright or great, how great is the brightness? But if it is dark, how great is the darkness? What on earth is Jesus saying? Then he says this, you can't serve two masters. Because you're going to learn to love the one and hate the other. You can't serve both God and mammon. And mammon is, 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 is a spirit behind it and personifying money and all that sort of stuff. Jesus was saying in light eye, dark eye. He was saying it's a Jewish idiomatic expression. The Scots would say he's got deep pockets and short arms. The English would say he's a Scrooge. Other cultures go he's tight-fisted. Ungenerous. The Jews go he's got a dark eye. Not about vision. He's a dark-eyed man. He's, he's stingy. Well, he's a light-eyed man or a light-eyed woman, very generous. Okay? Can't serve two masters. That's what's happening today on the planet. But you know, Jesus then he says, don't worry about tomorrow about what you eat or drink or where. How are you going to pay for your buildings? How are you going to do this? How are you going to do that? And blah, 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 blah. Remember to Abraham, he said, on the path of righteousness, I'm going to give you all the blessings. On the path of righteousness, I'll give you all the blessings. Listen to this. Then Matthew 6.33, but seek first, he said, his kingdom. What does that mean? Well, put kingdom before bread. It wasn't, Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Give me my day, my daily bread. What's the Lord's prayer? It's not, Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Give me my daily bread. It's kingdom before bread. Matthew 6, 33, he says, seek first my kingdom. And we got all of that by doing his will, the whole thing. But seek first my kingdom and my righteousness. How do you seek for righteousness? How do you seek for what you already have? Isn't it true? Doesn't it bother you? Some guys will say it's before the cross. Doesn't apply. It's, can I just tell you this? I stand righteous in Christ but I live righteous through Christ. In Revelation chapter 19, the bride has made herself ready. We haven't got time to get there, but in Revelation 19, the bride has made herself ready. Fine linen has been given to her to wear. It's in Revelation 19. Be a noble Berean and go check it. Fine linen has, the bride has made herself ready. Fine linen has been given to her to wear. And then it says, fine linen, which is righteousness, stands for the righteous acts or deeds of the saints. You see, you and I, righteous in fine linen is given her. Fine uh, righteousness is imputed. But righteousness is also imparted. It's imputed for justification, but it's imparted for sanctification. 
And so grace is opposed to earning, but it is not opposed to effort. There is saving grace and empowering grace. And if you think I'm talking law and grace, I'm not. There's two sides to this coin. It's grace on the one side and grace on the other side. It is grace and grace. I stand righteous in Christ, and I live righteous through Christ. And so I'm, I've got to be righteous in how I live. Because He's going to lead me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. For His name's sake. And when you understand the foundation of the throne of Jesus Christ, that actually the foundation is a foundation of righteousness and justice. And it is incredible. Phenomenal. The bride has made herself ready through her righteous deeds. Your righteous deeds, the widows, the orphans, the poor, the refugees, the vulnerable of society, blessed are the poor. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord said, Jesus is upon me, Isaiah 61. He has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. It wasn't the poor in spirit. That's Matthew 5. Why is it that all the rabble of society ran after Jesus? Jesus said, this is the end of the age. This is what you're going to see. And we've got all our charts, and it's pre-trib, post-trib, this trip, that trip. All I know is that Christ is going to return. And he said that while I'm waiting for him to return, you and I, just be filled with oil, man. Be like a good virgin and be filled with oil. Have oil in your lamp. Be filled with the Holy Ghost. And those talents I've given you, those giftings, use them. Use them. Use them for what purpose? Oh, you know something? There's something, a little story about goats and sheep. When I was hungry, did you feed me? When I was in prison, did you visit me? When I was thirsty, did you give me something to eat? When I was naked, did you clothe me? And then you go read Ezekiel 34 because you want to understand the character of the kingdom of God and the nature of the kingdom of God. And he says, woe to the shepherds, woe to the shepherds, woe to the pastors, cursed are the pastors. Why? Because they eat the fat food, they take the choice clothing, they look after themselves, they don't take care of the sheep. Don't take care of the vulnerable on the margins of life. I put it to the evangelists here this morning. There are many different ways we evangelize, and the crusades are powerful and they're great, and we need to be doing them. We need to impart what's there, but I believe that one of the greatest forms of evangelism today, the most effective form, is to go and look for the vulnerable of society. Go and look for the broken and the hurting. Go and look for the poor. Go and look for those that actually need to be clothed and fed, and the prisoners literal prisoners and metaphorical prisoners, those that are on the margins of life and their margins are getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. What we've done with mission work is we give a check. We give a check into our missions. Now, God wants you there, hands and feet. Why? Because righteousness and justice are the foundation of His throne. And righteousness and justice are a cup of water, binding up the broken heart or setting the captives free. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me. When Jesus took that Matthew, uh, Isaiah 61 and, and, and in Luke 4, when he, I think it's Luke, when he, uh, uh, somewhere around there, it's in the Bible. Uh, when, he, when, he stood up in the, when he stood up in the synagogue and he, he opened the scroll of Isaiah and he said, the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach good news to the poor. Well, not poor in spirit, it was the poor. Those who are economically just disenfranchised. Those who are locked out, those who are being exploited and taking advantage of. The rich today have got so rich and the poor are getting poorer. Man, the harvest field is ripe. It is ripe. Do you have a widow's list in your church? You say, I've only got one widow. Put her on a list. Have you got orphans in your church? It's not just in your church, but your community. You see, Jesus wants the fivefold ministry pastoral office to catch him as the king, the great shepherd. 
You are called, my brothers and sisters, to pastor your community. Pastor your community. Pastor your city. I was saying to Leo, and I know they're carrying a weight in terms of building and finances and stuff like this. I want to say to the GGC family, this is a tool for a, a, tool for a task. You want faith for this? Why don't you stretch out your faith for your city? <laughs> That's for tomorrow. I'll give you an illustration. I'll actually... Every city in the world is a Babylonian city. Sydney, Auckland, all our cities. There were some amazing things that came out of COVID. COVID was a blessing. Oh, what a blessing. What a blessing. Because it caused us to stop and pause. Hit the pause button. And as pastors, we freaked because sometimes there's money in activity and we're like, oh, it's like, oh, what's going on here? But you know what COVID did? It actually reduced us in Auckland to walking pace. We couldn't meet anybody. We were locked down for eight months. And so God gave us a strategy. Instead of just trying to have zoom, 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 let's mobilize the church onto the street because you could actually exercise. So go walk your hood. You see, apostles are like Nehemiah. They go and spy out the city. They see what's going on in the city. And it's amazing what you see when you actually walk and don't drive. It's amazing what you discover. Now, there's a word called exegesis. We need to exegete a passage of Scripture, which means to interpret and explain. But have you ever thought about exegeting your city? And I believe fivefold ministry with the, with the rest. Now, fivefold ministry, we don't want to put them on a pedestal. Remember, bright attendance and... It means that you've got to do the work of an evangelist and you've got to share, but you're part of all of that. They're aspects of the character of Jesus himself. But walking through our communities, we began to see and we looked at our city in a very different light. One guy, and we had, a, we had a platform where people could give feedback as to what they saw. One guy, I'll never forget this, his feedback on the feed was, uh, was this. Man, there are brothels in my neighborhood. I never knew they were there. And we had a competition for, even for the kids. We gave out Lego sets, whoever gave the best report. And they had to report like with microphones and hairbrushes and bananas and give report backs as to what they saw. We had the children exegeting the city and the neighborhoods. I realized that one of my neighbors I've never met before was actually a widow. See, the, past, the, the widow list is not just the widows of your church, but the widows of your city and the orphans of your city. And so we saw the lostness, the pain, and the brokenness of our communities. They're spiritually lost because they're outside of Christ. The pain is the brokenness of families, fatherlessness, you know why there's an identity issue today? You know what's behind that identity issue? Yeah, Romans does tell us, depravity of thinking, all that sort of stuff. But you know who determines the sex of a child and the identity and destiny of a child? is a father, in the natural and in the spiritual. You take away fathers, they can be present but yet absent. You remove the whole issue of identity and destiny. And isn't it amazing, John the Baptist, who's the forerunner of Jesus, where his father Zechariah prophesies over his own son and says, you will be raised up to be the forerunner of this kingdom and renounce it when the king comes. He was filled with the Holy Ghost in the womb of his mother. You know what his first sermon was? Can we look quickly? John the Baptist's very first sermon I'm going to read it to you.
In Luke chapter 3, it says, John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers who warned you to flee the coming wrath, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the tree, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. And here in verse 10, you notice, verse 10 it says this, What shall we do then, the crowd asked. His answer is profound. Trained from birth to recognize the Lamb without spot, wrinkle, or blemish. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. What should we do? His answer is profound. It's his first sermon. Very important. John the baptizer. The crowd asked. John answered, verse 11, in Luke uh, chapter 3. The man with two tunics should share with him who has none. And the one who has food should do the same. Verse 12, tax collectors also came to be baptized. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? Don't collect any more than you are required to, he told them. Don't rip the people off. Then some soldiers asked him, and what should we do? He said, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. You see this heart of the shepherd? He's representing the shepherd. Righteousness and justice. He understands the foundation of the throne from which the kingdom of God emanates from heaven through the Spirit of God onto the earth through you and into your communities. You with me? Two, two, I'm going to close with this. Two kings. King Herod. King Herod. Two kings. What is Herod doing? He's cavorting in his palace. Lavish banquets. Surrounded by his fat cats. Picture of today. Picture of today. I saw on the news yesterday that the leader of Zimbabwe has completely ripped the country off his wife. Money laundering government, taken all the gold out of Zimbabwe. Now you've got Herod. What is he doing? Just picture the scene. Maybe you can bring up one of the slides. There's a slide with John the Baptist's head on it, on a platter somewhere along there. You know, find, please find that slide. I want you to catch the spirit of this. Because here you're talking the Babylonian cities of the world. You're talking corrupt governments. You're talking all these issues and the people scrounging to actually try and solve the problems. We've just got to get our guys in government and we've just got to do this and that. We've got to change this law and that law and we've got to do this and that. No law will ever stop a lady from having abortion. But being saved, filled with the Holy Spirit, she will turn. What are we giving them in the court of the Gentiles? The American dream a donkey or an elephant or the Lamb of God? What did Herod do? Oh, here's a lady pole dancing. Lust of the eyes. Powerful. Calls her over. I'll give you anything if you dance for me. What do you want? Give me the head of John the Baptist. Let me talk to my mum. Get the head of John the Baptist. Get the head of John the Baptizer. Let me tell you something about John the Baptizer. Filled with the Holy Ghost in the womb of his mother. Place of first mention in Scripture. My understanding, and what I can see, and I submit this to you to go and check. Place of first mention in Scripture is very important. First person who's filled with the Holy Ghost in the womb of his mother. Second time is the church. The church. Is he a prototype of what, what was to come? Full to the Holy Ghost. Pentecost, church, full to the Holy Ghost. Why was John the Baptist filled with the Holy Spirit? The Spirit of Elijah. To do what? To in the hearts of the fathers to their children, the children to their fathers. Righteousness and justice. Love and mercy. Incredible, isn't it? So Herod, what does he do? 
John loses his head. But let me tell you a story about the other king. On a hillside, they're hungry. Bring me a small boy's lunch. And what does he do? While they behead John and his corruption and fat cats and the important seats and the superstars, there's another king. Father, thank you. And he feeds the multitudes. He feeds the multitudes. And they're hungry. And he blesses them. That's the heart of a shepherd. That's the pastor of heaven. That's the heart that should permeate everyone in the church. He is the good shepherd because he died for us. Psalm 22. He's the great shepherd because he lives for us. Psalm 23. And he's the chief shepherd because he's coming back for us. Who is this king of glory? Lift up your heads, O you gates. Lift up your head, you ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. It's time for the church to mobilize full of the Holy Ghost in the power of the Spirit, moved with compassion. Remove the stuff that is unhelpful have the courage to remove the stuff out of the court of the Gentiles. Ask the question, what are we feeding the city? What are we feeding? What is the picture that we are giving? Is it the gospel of the kingdom of God or is it something else? A.W. Tozer in one of his amazing books called The Pursuit of God, right in the introduction, says this. He says, The church is not short or devoid of teachers who can take stones and build an altar by rightly dividing the word and putting stones on the altar. And believe you me, it is word and spirit. Word and spirit together. Build an altar of stones. And we like our homiletics and our hermeneutics, and we like pre-trib, post-trib, all this stuff, and it's all important. I think you might have gathered a little bit this morning, and I say this in humility, I eat the Word. I love the Word. But Tozer said, there are so many altars being built today. Altars, altars, altars. And we're having all these arguments and getting the, the stones in the right place. We've got all our gurus. We've got this guy, and he's a Calvinist, and this guy's an Arminianist, and we're going to die on the mountain of Calvinism, or we're going to die on the mountain of Arminianism. And then, oh, it's, it's an interesting thing, and then you suddenly become a Reformed Calvinist. I don't know, you, weren't, you were going to die on that mountain, now you're a Reformed Calvinist. You've got all these stones that are actually being built, and boom, 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 but completely blind to the fact there's no fire on the altar. Word and spirit together. Every kingdom on this planet right now is shaking to the core. God is shaking the kingdoms of this world. But He is unchanging. And His kingdom is unshakable. Amen? Any questions? You know, (laughs) 
Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna spend. They've given me another five minutes. Let's go and take our cities together. I want to encourage you, do Nehemiah. Go walk around your city. Take your eldership team. Take people in your church. You know, just get a cup of coffee and go and walk. Go and walk your go and walk your community. Don't even pray. Just shut up and go walk your city. I don't mean to be derogatory in saying that, but just zip it and go and walk around and have a look. Our church said to us, Michael, what do we pray for? I said, I actually don't know, but I'd rather you prayed on site with insight than me giving you a list on what you pray. And so we said, okay, go out and walk the streets. Go and walk your streets. Let the shepherd open your eyes to the condition of your community. Just walk around. Don't even pray. Just say, Lord, open my eyes and go and walk. And what actually happened was when people began to feed back and we didn't put a list together, this is what you should pray for. Because your community dictated what you were going to pray for. On site with insight. Let's go and spy out the land. Amen. We're a prophetic people. We carry the pomegranates and the fruit of the age to come. The kingdom of God is the rule and reign of God. It is Christ-likeness everywhere and in everything. And it is now, but it is not yet. It's now, but it's not yet. When you see the clouds and you get those rays that actually break through, they're pictures of the kingdom of God in this age. Jesus will return. And when he does return, the glory of the Lord will cover this earth as the waters cover the sea. But in this, in this time period that we are in, the weed and the wheat grow together. That's why he had to explain the kingdom for 40 days. Because they were looking at the old covenant hope of what the prophets and the Psalms had actually promised. And he had to say to them, because you did not recognize this day of your visitation, there's going to be a mystery age called the age of grace. He is full of grace and truth, not full of truth and grace. And there is a problem with grace teaching today. There's not enough of it. give them a cup of water? Did you clothe them? I'm not saying we're doing anything great in our context and in our church. We're doing the best we can and we're learning and adjusting and growing and trying to change and it's hard. It's not easy, but by grace. I resolved when God the shepherd gripped my heart, I resolved that we would pray by name for every single member of our church in our elders' meeting. We call it the shepherd's rod. I'll take the list and from A to Z. I go through the names and all the elders sit there. Men and women. Yeah, the elders sit there. And we bring the names under the shepherd's rod and give an account to God for them. Pray for them by name. But a widow's list, not a big list. Acts chapter 6. I got so fixated on Acts chapter 6. Deacons. Booklets on deacons. Remember the old days? Deacons. Glivy. Acts 6 is all about deacons. It's not. It's about widows. <laughs> oh, isn't it true? Isn't God awesome? Yes, the nature of his kingdom. Two Stephen and a few other blokes, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom. For what? To hand out bulletins at the back of the auditorium. 
to get the multimedia up and running. Oh, to take care of the widows of your city. And why do you need wisdom and power? Because you try and distribute food in Sydney amongst all the widows. You're going to have a problem because they're going, to, they're going to actually ignore all the immigrant widows who are not Australian. It takes, it takes wisdom and power because it wasn't just food. It was about binding up their wounds and healing their sicknesses and their diseases and taking care of the orphans. Acts 6. I've written whole, almost manuals on deacons. I forgot the widows. The purpose of it. You see the heart of God. Righteousness and justice and love. Isn't that beautiful? And one of the ways you actually just demonstrate His love, signs, wonders, miracles. Why? Not because you're a superstar, because that's how God actually expresses His love. He's sick, He wants to heal you. Loves me, brings me a prophecy. Completely undoes me. I took that prophecy this morning. I played it again. Simple. You thought, oh, ribcage, this, that, blah, 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 a whole bunch of stuff. You had no idea what you were saying. Because God was saying. Thank you. God loves every one of you. Amen? He really does. Do you understand something about the kingdom a little more? now but it's not yet it's righteousness and justice you stand righteous in Christ you live righteous through Christ, it's grace by the way and it's grace isn't that awesome yeah. awesome isn't it God is awesome let's stand, I want to pray for you Wow. If you are at another church, please don't come here tomorrow. But I'm taking the liberty and I'm, sub I'm not submitting this to you. I'm just overriding your authority as the elders. Are. <laughs> but I know that this GGC church and the others are called to be apostolic households. And tomorrow we're going to look at the kingdom of God and how the kingdom of God works through fivefold ministry and this actual strategy in God to reach a city cross rivers and reach cities. We're going to see how Jesus took .com.govern.org in his team. You're going to see that Jesus knew how to exegete a city. He knew what was needed. He didn't take 12 poor fishermen, 12 ordinary poor dudes. He took .com, he took fishermen, .gov, uh, he took .org, he pulled them together, Paul the Apostle did the same thing. And then we're going to look at the illustration of the priesthood of all believers and how the Clapham sect through the Quakers going a few hundred years ago, the Clapham sect, they took this, the, the, the Paul model and put it on steroids. 0.2% of the population of England, Quakers, they were called Quakers because they were filled with the Holy Ghost, the Society of Friends, and you had, a, you had, a, you had this Clapham sect come together made up of fivefold ministry. It's incredible what they did, but there was a guy who pulled it together. And you had Wilberforce, the .gov, and you had Thornton, the banker. He was the .com. And, uh, uh, yeah, Aven was the, uh, he was, I believe he was the apostle. Pulls them all together. And you know what they do? They actually transform British society. Why? Because they understood the kingdom of God on earth now actually as it is in heaven. And they transformed British society. If you've got Clark shoes, Clark was part of that. If you've got Cadbury's and dr drinking chocolate, they actually, Cadbury was a guy's name. And Roundtree was a guy's name. And they invented drinking chocolate to counter the, the alcohol in the pubs. And Stevenson, who was a Quaker, invented the, the, the Stockton to Darlington a railway line called the Quaker Line. And Lloyds of London, their ships were sinking. And you cannot believe how they've impacted society that we actually live in today. What would God do with the people who are sold out for Him? who will pursue an uncommon unity between leaders of churches who have exegeted their cities as like Nehemiah's and then broken and then asking God to bring men and women together 
with a common purpose to address the lostness, the pain, and the brokenness, the systemic brokenness of society. People like that, God will unleash the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven to reach your city for His glory. Why? Because He's the good shepherd, He's the chief shepherd, and He's the great shepherd, and He loves Sydney. Amen? Let me pray for your general prayer. You've been really good listeners. It's been a long four days. Heavenly Father, please open your hands just as a as an act of of surrender and wanting to receive. Heavenly Father, I thank you for my brothers and sisters. I pray you will bless them. I pray, Lord God, that they'd be fruitful, 30, 60, and 100 fold. I pray, Lord God, you'll bless them and open the eyes of their hearts that you'd bring an uncommon unity between them. I pray, Father God, that you would give them strategy to reach their cities, to love their communities, that you would ignite a fire within their hearts, Lord God, that would burn for you and for your kingdom and the advancement of your kingdom. Would you bless them? Would you protect them? I pray over the seeds that have been sown this week. I pray you'll protect those seeds, Lord God, the seeds sown today. I pray you'll protect those seeds that they'll find fertile soil, Lord God. In Jesus' precious, 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 precious name. Amen. Amen. Bless you all. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the GGC Life Podcast. We hope you feel encouraged. Be blessed.